the go sprint lectures on african mobilities a podcast by africa multiple welcome everyone to the first spring lectures for the summer term so the spring lectures is a series of debates on planetary mobilities and is hosted by the mobilities research section of the africa multiple Class of Excellence at the University of Bayreuth. My name is Grace Akesi, and I'm a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Bayreuth. I am happy to welcome you all, and especially to our speakers today, our Professor Franca Ato and Dr. Kayode Isiola, who will be presenting findings from a cross-sectional survey on intra-African migration and xenophobia. So by way of introduction, Professor Ato is a professor of sociology at the University of Lagos, Nigeria. Her research interest is in criminology, gender, and migration. Dr. Kayode Isiola is also a senior research fellow at the Institute of African and Diaspora Studies, also at the University of Lagos. And they are both joining us from Lagos, Nigeria today. Uh, within the cluster, both Professor Arthur and Dr. Siola are leads on the projects Intra-African Migration and Xenophobia, the Imperatives for African Integration. So welcome everyone to the first Spring Lecture series and welcome to our speakers especially, and I will leave it to them to present for the next 20 minutes. Yeah, thank you very much, Grace. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Franca. I am um, presenting from Lagos. We had planned our work. The title, by the way, as Grace said, is Intra-African Migration and Xenophobia, Imperatives for African Integration. So we had a plan, a plan that has a four-pronged work plan. Quantitatively, we did a study in Lagos, which is one of the contexts, and another in Ouagadougou. Then we still have two more things to do, which will be starting in May. That is, we're going to Ouagadougou and then Lagos, we started yesterday for the KIIs and the IDIs. So what I'm presenting today is the results from the quantitative. We've actually analyzed the data we collected in the two contexts, and it threw up something very interesting as far as uh, migration and xenophobia is concerned. The methodology for the research was done electronically. We used the Kobo Toolbox mobile application and we administered a total of 1,000 questionnaires, 500 in Lagos and 500 in Ouagadougou. For Lagos, I will be presenting Lagos while Kayode will present Ouagadougou. For Lagos, the team comprised of 10 individuals, one supervisor, a French linguist. Initially, I never knew I needed a French linguist until we went into the field and we discovered that the concentration of migrants, especially from French-speaking countries, many of them could speak neither Yoruba nor English. Therefore, we needed a French linguist. So at that point, I had to employ a French linguist and then two collaborators. Now, we taught four locations, which were identified during the pre-field study. Now, the pre-field was done in Abelkuta because the ethics of uh, research you know, everyone knows that if you use a context for a pilot, you cannot go back to that context when you're doing your research proper. So we use Abelkuta because Abelkuta is also a small town, not very far away from Lagos, where some migrants find their way when they come into Nigeria. So we use there as a, a, a pilot, you know, administering about 100 questionnaires there to enable us to have a feel of what we're going to meet in the field. In Lagos, we thought four locations, 
okay? Namely, Makoko, Agege, Maryland, and Mile 12. But towards the end, we had to go to Lagos Island because we understood that Lagos Island also had a very high concentration of migrants from places as far as Burkina Faso. Now, these locations were identified as communities with concentration of migrants from different African countries, including Benin, Niger, Togo, Ghana, Guinea, Burkina Faso, among others. And the research took us two weeks, 14 days, from the 24th of February, 2021 to Saturday, 11th March, 2021. We engaged migrants from African countries in these locations for the primary purpose of quantitative data collection as captured in the photographs below. The first place we visited was a place called Makoko. Makoko is actually a conglomeration of people from Benin Republic, Togo, and then some Nigeria. This was the palace of the Bale of Makoko. They call him the Bale of Adogo. So here we engaged him, introduced ourselves, and then he was the one who now gave us somebody to take us to the Bale of the French-speaking places. Most of the people here are fishermen. They came initially, you know, as fishermen, but over time they were able to settle. They were able to settle down in Makoko and, you know, they built homes there. But initially, I thought that Nigeria didn't have the issue of xenophobia. Unfortunately, when we moved into Makoko, we now discovered, we discovered a palpable fear among the migrants. Now, many of them thought that we were government workers because according to them, they had had an incident the year previous with the uh, Lagos state government. You know, they came in and they wanted to demolish the neighborhood. You will see some of the pictures. They wanted to demolish the neighborhood because the place had become a slum. So many of them now say they were not Nigerians. But then the ballet of Adobo, who was the first person we met, convinced us that these people are not really Nigerians. Many of them came from the Republic and then Togo, and then as, you know, as far as even Cote d'Ivoire. So eventually we had to find one of the uh, counselors who is from their place. It was the one who now convinced them now, we were not government workers, we were researchers, and the information we were looking for was, was for the purpose of research. Now, from there, we visited another place. I told you that we went to four places. We went to a place called Kane Village, which is in Maryland, okay? This is a community where people weave baskets, you know, using the raffia, they make all kinds of things. And you find most of the people are from Ghana, Bene, and Togo. So here we were also able to interview some of them, even though they told us that as at the time we came, most of the migrants had gone home because of the COVID. And some of those people who came, who, who went home for Christmas did not, had not returned because of the COVID. Now from there, we went to a place called Agege Abattoir. The Agege is a very interesting space because it has the biggest abattoir in Lagos State and it also has a market. So with the result that it attracts people from different parts of Lagos, even people come as far as um, Abel Kuta, those who want to purchase you know, meat in large quantity. So we interviewed here, you find people mainly from Ghana. You also find people from Togo. The interesting uh, thing about this place is that behind this bus station, you have a large population of migrants from Ghana, Togo, Guinea, who live there, okay? In, a, uh, in addition to the space being, serving as a bus station, it also serves as a residential area. So for instance, we, we spoke to an elderly Ghanaian, okay, who told us that he has been in Lagos since first time 1977. And there was this argument 
about obtaining the national identification number. Some of the people we spoke to were complaining that they were unable to do so. But this guy said that he didn't find it difficult because he knew what to do. That for you to obtain the name, all you need was to present your basic, uh, basic documents, like the immigration card, okay, to the NIMC people so that they will help you to register. Once they are able to ascertain that you're genuinely a migrant living in Nigeria, that you will be registered and then you'll be given the national identification number. So this community is a mix of decent residences and shanties housing mostly non-Nigerians. Now, I want to take you back to this, the fluidity of mobility in West Africa, which does not take cognizance of the policies that states make, you know, people move in and they move out at will. They are actually not interested in some of the things. We also went to the palace of the Ologba of Ogbaland because, you know, the tradition in Nigeria is that when you move into a space, the first thing you do is to look for whoever is the leader of that particular space, you know, to pay homage to them and let them realize that you're here in their space and this is what you want to do. If you don't do that, you'll not be allowed to work or interview anybody. So anywhere we go to, the first thing we do is to find whoever is the leader, the community leader of that space, and then we pay homage. And of course, paying homage in Nigerian palace, you don't pay homage empty-handed. If you're going to the, the house of a, an elder or a big man like a chief, you go with a bottle of hot drink, okay? So these were some of the things we did to make our destiny, our passage uh, very easy. We met a concentration of migrants. And it was interesting because within this space, you know, there's an eatery and then people could eat and also converse and discuss about some of the things that are happening in the country at the moment. Now, the, the outing here, I found most interesting. The French interpreter made the administration of questionnaire very easy for us and seamless because he was able to communicate with most of them who were not English speaking and then they could not also speak Yoruba. So he was able to speak you know, to them in French and they felt at home. So they answered our questions you know, without any hindrance. From there, we moved to a place called Mazamaza. Mazamaza is a bus station, you know, is a, is a very big bus station in Lagos. In fact, it is a place that when you come to, you'll be amazed. The kind of, I call it mini West Africa because in Mazamaza, you find West Africans from different parts of West Africa. You find people as far as Burkina Faso. And then you find very long vehicles going to Ghana and different places in West Africa. Now, these are French interpreter. Uh, his name is Mr. Frederick, okay? He was born in Cote d'Ivoire. He spent almost all his life in Cote d'Ivoire, but he schooled at the University of Lagos. So we had to engage him. And in addition to speaking French, he's a polygot because he could speak five native languages in West Africa. So that made it very easy for us, you know, to talk to people as we're going. Now, let's look at the major observations from data collection exercise. We discovered that a large number of the migrants came to Nigeria in search of greener pastures. The deteriorating economic condition in the country at the moment is a source of discouragement for many of the migrants. This is at the heart of the desire of some of the respondents who felt that they might want to return back to their you know, countries where the conditions are similar or where the conditions are improving. Like most of the, the Ghanaians we spoke to, many of them, you know, they said that for instance, in Ghana, health insurance is compulsory, okay? You know, health insurance is compulsory and it, people can assess it uh, you know, easily. This is, you know, a difference. You don't find health insurance is not compulsory in Nigeria. 
is mainly for the rich and then the enlightened and those who are working in government spaces. For instance, those of us who are lecturers. Now the challenge for migrants and their intention to return back to their country is the rising cost of international transport, especially by road. In the past, the, the transport fare from Lagos to Ghana was 20,000 Naira. Now the price is 70,000. And many of the people are finding it difficult. Another issue they raised is education. They say that education is not easily accessible for the children of migrants and private schools are very expensive. Then most of the people we interviewed also spoke about the Nigerian immigration officers who tried to extort them from time to time with the threat of deportation. They also talked about difficulty in getting jobs due to language barriers. Hence, the preference for the informal sector. This report gives the highlights of the data generated in Lagos study on intra-African intra migration and xenophobia, the imperatives for African integration. It provides findings on the sociographic profile of respondents, African migrants' access to public education, health, and political activities, how the nature of the access determines the security of the migrants in their host communities, how the security of the migrants determines their investments preference in the host communities, their roles played by language, security, and other factors in the conflicts between migrants and host communities, and how the ECOWAS and African Union migration policies help to address, identify problems, and resolve manifest contradictions. Most of the migrants, the respondents fall within the age category of 29 to 20 to 39 years old. So migration is a, a youth phenomenon, okay? It's only young people. Most of the people who migrate are young people, not old people. Now it shows that the mean age for this, uh, for most of the respondents was put at 38.1 years, okay? Which falls within the, uh, the youth population in Nigeria. Now distribution by sex. Most of the migrants are male. 61% of them are males while 39% of them are female. So migration in West Africa is gendered, okay? Most, it is men that migrate mainly. Most of the respondents have no formal education. Others have primary and secondary education. Very few of them have tertiary education. So in essence, it is no wonder that you find that many of them are found in the periphery of the economy because they don't have the requisite educational qualification to be able to assess jobs in the final, um, in the formal uh, sector. Distribution of respondents by occupation, okay? Now you find that most of our re respondents are petite traders and virtually all of them are from the informal sector of the economy. Now, like most of them rightly argued when we're interviewing them, that they found it difficult to assess, you know, government jobs. Yes, the, the data from their educational qualification what is that because if you're not educated, you don't have any business coming to look uh, for job in the formal sector of the economy. There is also an almost equal distribution of documented and non-documented migrants in Lagos because that was one of the things we set out to um, ascertain. Whether respondents were documented or undocumented. And we discovered that documented migrants were 44.1% while on the documented migrants were 52.10%. So you find that it's almost at par. So the difference is not much. Now within Lagos, by the time Coyote presents his own data, you'll find the variation in terms of migration to context. In Nigeria, people migrate mainly to urban slums. And that was where we went to. We started with Makoko. 
Whereas in um, Ouagadougou, you find that most, most of the migrants are found in the suburban, uh, suburban areas and then the urban areas. But in Lagos, you find them mainly in the, in the urban slums. Why that is the case is because the slums offer them the anonymity they require, especially those of them who are not documented. Even though the immigration now from time to time goes there to harass them and try to extort money from them. But in the past, like some of them argued, the slums offer them a lot of anonymity. Nobody will even know that they are not from Nigeria since the skin tone is the same. So, and especially if the person can speak Yoruba, then you can pass as somebody from Badagri, which is the last town before you move into Kotonou, the Republic of Benin. Let me just conclude so that Kayode will come and present. This research has shown the fluidity of mobility within the West African subregion. As citizens of this region move in search of livelihood and greener pasture without recourse to the official boundaries created through colonization, the emphasis should be on how to harness these movements and interactions to achieve migration and craft a framework to achieve formal trade and development. This is because most of the trade is not captured in the macroeconomic framework. It is expected that the analysis and conclusion derived from the gathered data will inform valuable policy recommendations for tackling the challenge of migration and xenophobia in Africa. Now for future research, one of the things we discovered is that we need a Hausa linguist, somebody who speaks Hausa. Because people from Niger, Ghana, Chad, Cameroon, uh, other spaces speak Hausa. So we found it difficult to interview them in English. Fortunately for us, uh, Frederick was able to speak possible Hauser, and that also helped us. Completion dates. We are likely to conclude this research in October 2021. We have started the IDIs and KIIs in Lagos. In May, by the second week of May, we should be in Ouagadougou, where we'll complete the, the last leg of this research, and then we call it a day. Thank you very much, I and mean, may God bless you for listening. Now, Kayode has the floor. Okay. What is peculiar about Ouagadougou is that it is a direct opposite of Lagos, Nigeria. Uh, there at Ogadugu, a 10-man team moved into the communities. Uh, migrants live in four major areas, principal of which is Camp Sawa. And then we have uh, the market, Yari, and all these things. Our major findings from Ogadugu indicate that almost all migrants about 98% accept Ogadugu as the best place for African migrants. Like the opposite of Nigeria, access to education, access to healthcare, access to political participation, access to economic integration in terms of ease of doing business at Ogadugu is practically the same between the citizens and migrants to the extent that very few of them express any desire to return to their home country. Uh, what we will suggest from here is that the African Union and ECOWAS integration policies are not ineffective in several parts of Africa. Ogadugu is a very good model for the practical application of the policies of AU and ECOWAS. However, we discover from Nigeria and other places that the domestic rendition of these policies 
create problems. As you can see in Nigeria, it's a West African country. Ogadugu is a West African country. The way Ogadugu interpreted the policies makes it very easy for African migrants there to settle down and integrate and show no sign of xenophobia at all. So part of the recommendations will then be that we bring a journal article out from that place to explore that lacuna between the policy itself and the domestic rendition. And then from that, we can roll out pieces of advice for ECOWAS and ASU on the need to emphasize how the member states domestically interpret and of course implement the policies that have to do with integration of ECOWAS in Africa. I think that's just a summary that I will give in addition. We can then wait for questions and comments from the floor. Thank you. Thank yeah. you very much, yeah. Dr. Ato and Dr. Kayede uh, Isiola. So I would ask that you pose your questions. We don't have much time, so the questions and answers period would be quite uh, swift. Okay, I can see Martin's hand up. I have another question, but then I would uh, resort to him asking his question first. So Martin, you have the floor. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much, Franka and Kayoga. I have two questions. The first one concerns the context of your research. I mean, in this context of, of uh, ECOVAS integration efforts in, in regional free movement and the end, on the other side, the externalization of European migration policy, I think we currently observe uh, two aspects. First, the incomplete implementation of the um, 1979 protocol and free movement of persons. And second, the increasing securitization of internal borders, uh, gradually restricting freedom of movement of, of ECOWAS citizens. Um, I mean, the border between Nigeria and Benin was closed for one year, I think. So um, my question is, did the interviewees make this an issue? My second question is perhaps a bit special. Does the language background of migrants makes um, a difference? I mean, migration from Benin to Togo and Nigeria to Nigeria has a long history, especially um, with the oil boom in the 1970s. Many people from these countries came to work in the service sector in Nigeria, in particular those from Benin who speak Nago. I mean, language which is more or less the same as Yoruba had always told me that um, they did not stand out as foreigners at all in Nigeria. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Um, from the field, the migrants are not placing much emphasis on difficulty to navigate across West Africa. Uh, after all, they, they don't use the legitimate routes of the border. They will get informally into several countries and that reflects in the questionnaire. Uh, but uh, for your information, the Benin-Nigerian border is open now, but the Ghana, I mean the Togo-Benin border is closed as we speak. But people still have their way to migrate. I think the, the category of people that migrate all around West Africa are those who would not mind passing through informal routes. They mostly may not have passport. They don't have anything. They will just navigate through one means or the other to get to wherever they're going. So those incomplete aspects of the protocols are not a barrier for them from what they gave us during the interview. Yeah, th th thank you. Let me just also add, like I said in the conclusion, that the, the migration in West Africa actually you know, moves away from the, the artificial borders that were created as a result of colonization. 
For instance, to move into Benin Republic, I don't need to pass through that border. There's a, there are about more than 15 routes from Ogun State where you can just cross with your leg and it won't take you, it won't take you up to 15, 20 minutes. In fact, many of them intermarry because they're actually neighbors. So the people we meet are not interested in passport. They don't even own them. They don't believe in them. So they, have no so they don't have any difficulties at all. The ones with difficulties are those of us who are educated, you know, where, who want to go through the legitimate thing. In fact, each time I want to go to Benin Republic, they will ask you, do you want to go through the official route or you want to go through the unofficial route? If you want to, to, to go through the official route, you can wait until a big man comes to stamp your passport. Mm -hmm. But if you want to go through the unofficial route, you just pay 1,500. It is the officials themselves who will get you a motorcycle, which we call an Okada, that will take you to crossover. And then you do your business and return. Yeah. yeah. Hey, thank you for that. Uh, Franca, in your case, you mentioned the gendered yes, disparity in the population that you surveyed. And I was wondering if the gender differentials also reflect on people's experiences of xenophobia. Do, do women or men or differently gendered people experience uh, xenophobia differently? If you could speak to that. Yes, thank you very much, Grace. The truth of the matter is that, you see, it depends on the areas where you go to. For instance, areas that are really purely slum, like Makoko. The problem Makoko has is that Makoko is very close to the University of Lagos. In fact, they are our neighbors. I call them the laboratory for the University of Lagos. So in context like that, you find that officials can go in and come out, okay? because they are closer to a higher institution. But in places like Abattoir in Agege, you find that the women there, many people know where they come from and people patronize them. They don't experience, like the woman who sells 1K, for instance, she's a very popular madam in that neighborhood. Even the immigration officials patronize them, okay? So it is those who, who move through, you know, who are very close to elite areas who have these issues. You, you don't have issue of xenophobia being gendered, okay? But the issue is that migration itself is gendered because of course, Grace, you should know this. It's only recently that women be, began to assess migra migration as you know uh, agents on their own. Initially, it used to be that you either move with your family or you move as a result of marriage. So you find that most of those women who are in Makuku or living in those areas, many of them came either with their husbands or they are living with their sons and their daughters. Very few young ladies migrate on their own. Those of them who do, they move in and they move out. So they are more or less like itinerant laborers, not actually uh, full migrants, so to speak. I have a question uh, here for uh, Paddy, then I would turn to uh, Nadine. So Paddy has a conceptual question and he's wondering how you're defining migrants. For instance, are you considering Nigerians to who migrate from different parts of the country to where you're studying as also a migrant in this context? Okay, thank you. No, you see, in migration, we have two definitions. We have international and internal migration. When we're looking at migration in this context, we're looking at international migration. Those who have crossed borders, not those who moved from, say, um, other parts of um, Nigeria, say Lagos, no, we are not looking. And then if you, if you, unfortunately we didn't have time. If I've had time to take you through the notes, you would have seen the Nigerians were angry 
why were we uh, interviewing only the uh, you know the foreigners that they too also want to be interviewed because they thought something good would come out of it at the end of the day so no we're not looking at those who left their villages to come to lagos to seek greener pastures we are only looking at foreign migrants thank you very much uh nadine you can pose your question first of all thank you so much yeah. for this wonderful thing i i live in cameroon very uh, important uh, nigerian community of migrant here and uh, i almost yeah. wanted to engage in french uh, with the researchers, because I guess with all this, you have improved your French with the <laughs> francophone uh, migrants. Yeah. Actually, I wanted to know from you if uh, somehow, uh, I would say the European policy, I don't know if you've had that question, maybe um, Martin said something around it, but it's, it's about what we call a frontierization with the, U the EU policy has having impact on the way uh, African countries manage their migrants. So I was wondering if somehow you've uh, noticed in this research form of an impact, the fact that uh, there's a um, closing of, of borders up, upward, uh, is it uh, somehow impacting the way states are taking really the official part of it, the, 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 the public policy of it, uh, is it uh, touching uh, the way they, 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 they interact with uh, my, or they manage the migration? I'm asking this because we have noticed actually that uh, borders are getting closed in many African countries. I, I, I noticed that as far as uh, uh, ECOWAS is concerned, since the borders are quite open, uh, maybe there is not the same issue, but well, I was wondering somehow, please. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yes, Nadine, thank you very much. I was actually smiling with Kaya Day because you see, we catch a lot of fun when we do some of these things. You know, the truth is that, you know, the borders are actually for, let me use our lingo in, in Lagos. The, the, the borders are for Akonway, you know, the educated and the enlightened. The non-educated and unenlightened people, that is the people you find in the informal sector. They don't, in fact, they don't care about your borders, okay? So if the people are closing their borders, probably they are closing them for the purpose of whatever policy it is they are interested in, or maybe uh, they want to get one form of um, assistance from whoever. The average man in the city, let me give you an example of something that I found very interesting. In Togo, for instance, I went to Togo one day in Lome, I saw an itinerant herbalist selling drugs, okay? And the way he was speaking the French, I knew he wasn't from Togo. So I now spoke Yoruba to him. And now asked him, are you a Nigerian? I looked at me, uh, Ben, I'm from, I'm from uh, Ogbomosho. If you know the distance between Ogbomosho and Lagos, it's almost like, almost like 300 kilometers, isn't it? And I, I engaged him, I asked him, he said he comes here like, you know, once every six months. He comes with all kinds of herbal remedies. He settles down, he sells, and he goes back. And I can tell you, for instance, unfortunately, it's not in this one mm. because the context is not, but in a chapter I'm writing at the moment, mm. there is a direct transport mm. from Ejibo in Oshun State mm. to Côte d'Ivoire. Mm. In fact, there is no family in Ejibo in Oshun State that does not have somebody in Côte d'Ivoire. The young man that worked with us is actually from Ejibo, Frederick, but he was born and bred in, in Cordova. So you find this transportation, people move every morning from Ejibo to Cordova. 
So whether there's a border or not, we don't care. That mm. doesn't concern the average person on the street. That it concerns those living in Abuja. Yeah. It has nothing to do with those of them who are paper sellers and fish sellers. Okay, so so I can quickly add the experience in Wagadugu took us to uh, a place they call Misan Sanfran, Andre Seva, I mean Andre House. That Misan Sanfran is the first point of call for every migrant from all parts of West Africa. They have their own vehicle, you know, with which they transfer people from one country to the other unofficially. And of course, the drivers, the conductors, and everybody have over the years perfected the act of settling their ways, knowing the informal routes to navigate. So once you want to migrate, you just go to that Mesa Sanfran, you tell them where you are going, they will take you through. And when you get to a place you are going, you don't need to stay in a hotel. You don't need to interact with any formal structure that will register you and document you. They will allow you to sleep over for 100 cents per day until you find your way into the society. So this informal dimension to it uh, do not you know, make the, the prominence of border closure very, very key in this situation. Okay, thank you. Uh, Stefan? Thank you for this very interesting uh, presentation. Uh, a brief uh, last question. With what understanding of xenophobia did you enter the study and how has it, has it changed now after you've gone through the data and what these people said? Have you arrived at a different understanding of xenophobia at the end of your study? Thank you. Yes. Yes, thank you, Stefan. Yeah, we've actually not ended the study, but you see, the, the concept of xenophobia that plays out in Nigeria is not as complex and intense as what we have in South Africa. Because what actually gave impetus to this study was what played out in South Africa in 2015, and then as recent as um, two years ago. So it's not as intense, but you see, because of that fear, the fact that the world is now a village, that what plays out in other contexts kinds of traumatizes people in other contexts. So even those who are living in Nigeria, when government is trying, like Makoko, government wants to clean up the place for them to have a better you know, environment. But they are kind of afraid. They are believing that you know, why government is coming into this context now is that government wants to throw them out of where they're staying. So the fear is there, but it's not the kind of fear that people are running for their lives, no. Nobody is actually endangering anybody's life, but it's just because of the things they see on the internet, on the social media, you know, they have this feeling that anytime government comes in, it means government wants to take over the space and then throw us out of our space. And finally, by the way, the woman that supplies me fish at the University of Lagos comes from Kotonou. She's from Republic of Benin. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because as far as she's concerned, she goes there, brings fish, sells in the university for all of us, and she's comfortable where she's staying. So it's, um, it's, it's an interesting world. Thank you very much to <laughs> Professor Arthur and also Dr. Shola. And we'll see you all next month for the next one. So thank you. Undergo, Sprint Lectures on African Mobilities.